The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with decision day for the Fed as investors prepare for Powell to keep the current hiking cycle alive. We speak with one economist who thinks that may not be such a good idea. And First Republic bracing for a whipsaw Wednesday. Shares searching for direction in the pre-market after a 30% pop just yesterday. And speaking of pop, keeping an eye on shares of GameStop set to surge double digits at the open. We're going to tell you why. Plus, more pink slips for big tech just days after Amazon announced a new round of layoffs. Now another is preparing cuts of its very own. And later, crypto bulls pushing Bitcoin to multi-month highs. Coming up, we're live at the Paris Blockchain Week with a check on the latest sector buzz. It is Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Hope your Wednesday getting you off to a good start. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. They are down across the board this morning, down about a quarter percent. All of them right now, the Dow would open up about 60 points lower. Again, it is, of course, very early. This is after a strong start to the week and two straight days of gains. The S&P set to open above 4,000 for the first time since March 6th. However, it's been a rough few days. Small caps also getting some love. The Russell 2000 coming off its best day since February the 2nd. You can see the move to the upside right here. Of course, we're also checking the bond market ahead of today's Fed decision. Well-off highs hit earlier this month. Right now, we're seeing the 10-year at 3.588. It's moved up slightly as we've reached uh, Fed decision day. The two-year note, however, flat over the last two days at 4.13. We're also watching energy oil well off of its recent highs right now at about 69 bucks a barrel WTI, the U.S. benchmark. We're waiting for uh, an EIA report coming up later to to give us a sense of crude demand right now. You can see uh, right now WTI down about three quarters of a percent. We're also watching crypto crypto. We mentioned we're going to go to Paris uh, blockchain week a little bit later in the show. Bitcoin riding high during this market turmoil up this year, gaining more than 70 percent since January Much more of that move coming up later in the hour, but you can see right here, sharp move up here in March as we've seen a lot of banking turmoil as well. All right, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with much more. Good morning, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, here in Europe, trade started out on a cautious note as investors braced for that Fed decision. But in the last 20 minutes or so, things have turned a little bit more positive. The Zetradax now about 14 basis points higher. The Spanish market also trading in the green. Now, today's trade comes after a stunning performance yesterday in the European banking sector. In particular, the Euro's stocks banks index surging close to 5%. This morning, we have just heard from the ECB's Madame Lagarde, who's been speaking in she said, we are neither committed to raise further, nor are we finished with hiking rates. So 
over the course of the last half an hour, when she's been addressing um, the, the financial community, markets have been moving higher in lockstep. Now, one market that's underperforming this morning is the FTSE 100 here in the UK. We're down about 15 basis points as sterling surges versus the dollar. We're up 0.5% to 122.75. This is we got a fresh inflation reading out of the UK, which showed that inflation is running hot, hotter than expected. Uh, the inflation index, the CPI, jumping to 10.4% in February from 10.1% in January. That was well above the expectation of 9.9%. So this adding further pressure to the Bank of England, which meets tomorrow to deliver a policy decision. Now the market's pricing in a 98% chance of a 25 basis point hike, a 2% chance of a 50 basis point hike. All of that despite the turmoil we've seen in banking uh, in the banking sector over the last weeks. Now on that note, let's get a check on UBS and Credit Suisse. UBS soaring yesterday as part of that massive rally in the banking sector. And it seems as though as the dust settles around the Credit Suisse UBS deal, investors increasingly taking the view that this was a bargain for UBS. This morning, we're hovering around 1937. CS shares covering around the 86 cents mark. In terms of the latest news flow around UBS Credit Suisse, UBS is apparently looking to scrap the first Boston deal that Credit Suisse had arranged as part of its major restructuring before UBS came along. That's according to the Financial Times. They say that UBS uh, doesn't like the terms of the deal and also is seeing some value in keeping some parts of CS's investment banking unit. So that's a, an element of the story to watch from here. Frank? All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum live in London. We're asking to check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here. Bertha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Frank. Shares of First Republic searching for direction after gaining more than 30 percent yesterday. Reports this morning the bank is hiring advisors, including Lazard and McKinsey, to review its options to manage the current crisis, including an outright sale or capital infusion. This is alongside J.P. Morgan. And this follows a Bloomberg report that the bank may rely on government banking to facilitate any deal. First Republic is expected to issue an update as soon as today. Shares of GameStop soaring ahead of the open after the video game retailer reported its first quarterly profit in two years, topping forecasts calling for a $48 million quarterly loss. Sales slipping, though, compared to a year ago, but those are also came in above expectations. And Marvell Technology is reportedly planning to cut 4% of its global workforce, or 320 positions. If confirmed, that would make it the latest tech company to reduce its headcount. News comes just days after Amazon said it's going to reduce its staff by some 9,000 roles. Of course, you have to take these into perspective, Frank, because a lot of these companies hired a lot during the pandemic. Yeah, certainly got to take it in perspective, but uh, just awful to see for those people losing their jobs, at least temporarily. Um, still pretty robust hiring in the tech sector. That is the upside here. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. We'll see you later on in the show. Yeah. All right. Investors in a wait and see mode ahead of the latest Fed policy decision out at 2 p.m. Eastern. The probability of a 25 basis point hike now at more than 86 percent. That is notably higher than the odds to start the week. Top of mind for Wall Street, the Fed's balancing act between its fight against inflation and its response to the global banking crisis. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen noting yesterday the federal government could step in to protect depositors at additional banks if regulators see further risk of a run. Let's talk about what this all means with, for the markets with Bill Stone, the Glenview Trust Company CIO. Bill, great to have you here. Thanks. All right, Bill, I mean, obvious question here. What's your expectations for the Fed's decision later today? How are you positioning ahead of that move? 
Yeah, I think they do the 25. We thought that all along, frankly. Uh, and part of it is, uh, you know, it, it, it's partly the game, right, in the sense that while you may have thought a pause made sense, and I know there's a lot of people making a good case for it, the problem with the pause, in my view, is that it sends the wrong signal. So, you know, everything that the, that the regulators or government does sends a signal, and the worry is if they don't do any sort of hike, uh, that it will say, oh, this thing must be way worse than we think on the banking side. So uh, there is a bit of a game. And, and as you mentioned, the inflation problem hasn't gone away. Now, it probably, and this sounds bad, but helps. The banking crisis likely helps because there's a, a disinflationary impulse coming from probably a contraction in credit uh, because banks will almost certainly pull back some uh, in terms of their uh, their willingness to extend credit. Yeah, I mean, that is the, certainly the expectation. So a lot of people feel like maybe the Fed should take a wait-and-see approach when it comes to this rate hike. I also want to talk about the banks. You mentioned the banks right now. Um, looking at with the bank performance yesterday, we saw a huge bounce back in banks yesterday. KRE finished up almost 6%. First Republic up about 30%. This morning, we're seeing the KRE down a bit. Um, what's your expectations for the banking sector, not only when it comes to stock performance, but when it comes just to the sentiment around it? Yeah, I think it's going to be a slog for a while, um, particularly in the more mid-sized banks. So the, the globally systematic banks have been, relatively speaking, outperforming because they already have higher capital requirements, more scrutiny in terms of stress tests, et cetera. The mid-sized banks is where I think it gets more challenging because, you know, and, and uh, Yellen said it yesterday that, you know, it's too early to talk about regulation, but I think you know, higher capital requirements, more regulation is all on the table and all that, you know, likely in the end ends up with some sort of uh, crimping okay. uh, of, of profit. So, so data check out with a note today saying that banks are cheap right now. What's your take on when it comes to investing on financials? Are there other areas of the market you're looking at right now ahead of this Fed decision? Yeah, so, I mean, I think, yeah, banks are looking cheaper. I do worry they might, particularly on these midsize, might get a bit cheaper. Uh, I probably, you know, look elsewhere. We, we happen to, we bought a, uh, CSX, a railroad instead. Um, part of that is, you know, one is obviously the derailments hurt the, the rails in general. Uh, but then secondly, some of this worry about the economy continuing to, you know, maybe or not continue, but to have more pressure here coming up has hurt, uh, the, the rails as well. So I think that added got us in it. What we think is in a, much more attractive valuation. And we feel good about that kind of business, right? Um, you know, the rails, they aren't putting down any more uh, track. There you go. Bill Stone, we appreciate the insight. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. All right, we come back here on Worldwide Exchange. Why a top to bottom line beat from Nike is not enough to convince my next guest. The stock is worth buying at these levels. Plus, our week-long housing special rolls on as we continue to ask if we're set for a reset. Today, a closer look at lumber with prices way down from just 12 months ago. But first, changing their tune. Why Bitcoin bulls are back in charge during the current crisis. Our Arjun Kapal is live at Paris Blockchain Week looking for the answers there. Hey there, Arjun. Indeed, Bitcoin is up 70% this year. Is the crypto winter over? We'll discuss uh, when Worldwide Exchange returns after the break. ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or... 
get goofy officially, step up like a boss and save the day, or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A wild ride for Bitcoin in recent days, adding to some already impressive gains for the year. Now trading above 28,000 and its highest level since June. Crypto stocks, they're going along for the ride in a very big way. Check out the action in names like Coinbase, Marathon Digital, and Riot. All have doubled so far, up between 130% and nearly 170% this year. So while the sudden change in sentiment, our Arjun Kapal joins us now live from Paris Blockchain Week. Bonjour, Arjun. Bonjour, Frank. Look, I'd say it's a couple of things. There's an ideological rally taking place. Um, and there is a uh, market rally taking place. Let me just explain that a bit. It all comes down to what we're seeing in terms of banking turmoil. Firstly, you have a lot of Bitcoin proponents saying, well, this shows the fragility of the banking system, that your money is not safe, and that actually uh, Bitcoin is a great alternative. And they're saying that's one reason for the rally we've seen. The second is that the banking issues on a more practical side could force the Fed to rethink its rate hiking path and potentially uh, slow down uh, the, the uh, rate hikes, maybe even cut, and that is adding to support for some of these risk assets, and in particular, Bitcoin uh, as well. The big question here on the ground really is, is the crypto winter over? And just from delegates I've spoken to, cautious optimism. Yes, the Bitcoin price, a reflection that perhaps there is a slightly more upbeat outlook for the crypto world, but certainly there are so many issues that remain. The collapse of Silvergate uh, and Signature 2, key crypto banks and lenders to the industry, who picks up the slack there as well? So those are uh, very key questions. And also, um, you know, is the, given sort of the broader macro environment, is technology such as blockchain, which is uh, being talked about a lot here, going to be adopted when, uh, you know, perhaps companies aren't investing as much in technology uh, and some of these future thinking uh, areas at the moment? So certainly lots of uncertainty remains. Again, is the crypto winter over? I think the, the answer here is it's just a bit too early to tell, Frank. Interesting. So give us a sense of what else you're hearing there on the ground, Arjun. What are people really talking about right now? And also, when it comes to this rise in cryptocurrencies, how big of an impact has Binance been uh, converting a billion dollars of that BUSD coin into Bitcoin and other cryptos? Yeah, I mean, that that's certainly been a huge boost. We know the BUSD, uh, Paxos, the issuer of that, has been told to stop uh, minting that from U.S. regulators. So that conversion obviously adding to some of that buying uh, upside uh, in Bitcoin. I think I want to hone in on a particular uh, crypto today, and that is XRP getting a huge boost, up around 18% in the last 24 hours. There's optimism growing here that this case between Ripple, which uh, uses XRP heavily in its products, and the SEC might be coming to an end, a quick Recap a few years ago, the SEC accused Ripple of uh, doing an unregistered security offering by selling XRP. Uh, and look, if it goes aside of the SEC and it says this is a security, that could have big implications 
for XRP token, but also the broader crypto space as well. But uh, Ripple is saying that they're very optimistic. I caught up with the president uh, just a few moments ago, uh, Monica Long, saying she's very optimistic there'd be a settlement in this case and it would go the side of Ripple. So that's adding to some of the sport we're seeing in XRP as well. Uh, that's, again, another big focus for, for the industry here, given the potential ramifications of that case, Frank. All right, Arjun, great to see you as always. Great reporting as always. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, new Jordans and a promising pipeline. Not enough to have our next guest say, just do it when it comes to buying Nike stock. Plus, an all-expense-paid trip to the happiest place on Earth. And we're not talking Disney World. Your top trending stories when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Shares of Nike dipping despite a beat on earnings and revenue for the fiscal third quarter. But markdowns, bloated inventory levels, and soft sales in China all weighing on the stock this morning. The company saying it's taking a cautious approach to planning, giving worries about the consumer and about the economy, with revenue for the year expected to grow in the high single digits. Joining me now to break down the numbers is Sam Poser, Williams Trading Senior Equity Analyst in Footwear and in Apparel. Sam, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. All right, so pretty strong quarter from Nike overall when you look at the numbers. But right now, you have a price target that's about 3 bucks below where the stock's trading at. Um, I don't know if you had that price target before the earnings report, but any changes to your view on the stock? Well, I raised the price target from 111. Um, I think that I, I think that um, they're they're improved a number of things, especially in international markets and including in China. Given that China was the only market where the EBIT margin percentage increased, um, the excess inventory still is in North America. And while the sales of North America beat significantly, um, the operating margin was still below, you know, still was down from last year in as a percentage. Uh, and um, I think they are promoting. I think they possibly are getting consumers used to discounted product. And I'm not talking about marquee products such as Jordan Retros, Air Force Ones or, um, or a few others. Uh, I'm talking about uh, a, a large swath of product, both in apparel and in footwear. Yeah, I can agree with you that from personal experience. When we were doing this segment, I had to look, and I don't see those Jordans on sale one bit, Sam. Um, so obviously inventory's weighing on this stock right now. Inventory up 16% year over year. Um, Nike seems pretty confident they're going to work that down as the year goes on. Do you see that as a possibility without deep, deep discounting? So if you look... Um, if you look at the inventory levels, which are we're, we estimate are still about eight hundred million dollars over where they should be on an optimum basis, again most in North America, uh, it looks feasible that they can get their inventory into line by the end of Q four. Um, again, they've got to do everything almost perfectly to do so. The inventory right. levels that came in at the end of the third quarter were where I thought the best that they could have done. And I wrote right. about that in my preview note. Yeah, and a lot of other analysts thought if they were ever going to work down this inventory, the holiday quarter would have been the time to do it. Um, so I also want to talk to you about Nike's growth when it comes to direct to consumer sales and digital sales, both of them up, more, you know, strong double digits um, long term. 
Where do you see the outlook for this channel that Nike's really tried to emphasize when it comes to their, you know, flagship stores and also their outlet stores? Well, I mean, I think it's still, you know, it's still very important to them. But I also think they're learning that to really get to everybody, they need to have a better balance than they probably thought they would have, um, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, and that's because more people are out, out and about now than were, you know, during for the couple of years during the heart of COVID uh, pandemic. All right, Sam Pose, we got to leave the conversation there. Thank you very much for your insight. Price target 120, Nike trading at 123. Thank you very much. I was going to check you. on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Francis. Frank, good morning. The U.S. is picking up the pace of its weapons transfer to Ukraine. Rather than waiting more than a year to build and ship new Abrams tanks, the Pentagon has decided to send Ukraine refurbished older Abrams tanks instead with the hopes of getting all 31 vehicles delivered by the fall. And the Pentagon also says that the stateside training of Ukrainian personnel on Patriot missile systems has gone faster than expected. Dozens of troops have been training at Fort Sill Army Post in Oklahoma on the advanced surface-to-air missile system. Those might not also be delivered on a, quote, expedited timeline. More wild weather is thrashing California. Over 150,000 are without power, and millions are under flood watch and wind alerts. The state was hit was hit with its 12th atmospheric river in just a few months. The system dumping up to 10 inches of rain throughout the state, which has faced a drought for nearly a decade. And the final game of the World Baseball Classic was a classic, USA versus Japan. Trey Turner put Team USA on the board first with a second-inning home run, but Japan rocked America's pitchers to take the lead right back. It would all come down to the ninth inning. Game on the line, America's captain Mike Trout faces Japan's captain Shohei Otani. Trout's ready. 3-2. He struck him out! Otani strikes out Trout, and Japan's back on top of the baseball world. So Otani strikes out his Angels teammate, and Japan wins 3-2. It is Japan's third World Baseball Classic title. Frank, those are your headlines. We send it back to you. Yeah, you know, I was rooting for the USA, but I couldn't imagine a more dramatic ending. Otani throwing a Trout for the game was pretty amazing. All right. Thank you very much, Francis. Great to see you. Mm -hmm. All right. Straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, why NatWest Michelle Girard has joined the likes of Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo, calling for a pause in the Fed's hiking cycle today. Plus, eyebrow-raising new details revealed around insider actions in the lead-up to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Stay with us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck, to raise or not to raise. That is the question for the Federal Reserve as the global banking crisis presents a new ripple in its rate-hiking game plan. Why our next guest says the central bank should hit the pause button. TikTok CEO looking to calm congressional fears over national security concerns. New details on what he plans to tell lawmakers when he heads to Capitol Hill. And the red-hot real estate market showing some signs of cooling. Investors in one major city not betting big on homes out there. A week-long series on whether housing in the U.S. is set for a reset. It rolls on on this Wednesday, March 22nd on Worldwide Exchange. All right, happy Wednesday. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, or as we call it, WEX. 
Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on how the trading day is shaping up right now. We're seeing futures in the red across the board. The Dow would open up about 20 points lower right now. This is off of its lows from earlier this morning. But again, you can see the S&P and the Nasdaq are also in the red. Stocks coming off back-to-back days of gains with the S&P back above 4,000 for the first time since earlier this month. Leading the gains has been the financials, bouncing back from a rocky start to this month and up more than 3% so far this week. You can see the move to the upside right here. Now, all this um, new data shows that DataTrek shows that bank stocks, they just remain in the cheap seats relative to the broader market. Ahead of the open, large cap financial stocks remain the second cheapest sector in the S&P 500 with a forward price earnings to ratio of 11.2% with every other sector except for energy trading at 11 or above. At the same time, in that same note, DataTrek notes some of the top banks in the sector are, quote, widely underperforming the sector average for the year, including J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America and Wells Fargo. Also getting a check of the bond market ahead of that Fed rate decision, the 10-year yield right now at 3.59. We're also seeing the two-year at 4.12. We also want to hit oil coming off its second positive session in a row. WTI still below 70 bucks a barrel at 69 and 43 cents, down about three quarters of a, a third of a percent this morning. Brent crude at about 75 bucks a barrel right now. All right, let's get a check on some of the morning's top stories. Bertha Coombs is here with those. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. Silicon Valley Bank reportedly ramped up loans to company insiders as the firm's situation worsened late last year. According to Bloomberg, loans to SVB officers, directors and principal shareholders more than tripled from the third quarter of 2022 to $219 million in the fourth quarter. That's a record. The report adds that while the surge in credit lines may draw scrutiny from regulators, there have been no allegations of wrongdoing connected to those loans. TikTok CEO preparing to defend his company to congressional leaders, likely telling lawmakers his app is safer than rivals. In testimony released ahead of his appearance before the House Energy and Commerce Committee tomorrow, Sho Chu saying, in part, TikTok does more to protect young users than other social media apps. Chu also expected to promise that China, the, the China-based company, will firewall U.S. user data from foreign access and government interference, while also arguing that a ban would hurt the U.S. economy. And Virgin Orbit said to return a small team from unpaid leave tomorrow. A company spokesperson telling CNBC the workers will be focused on critical areas for its next rocket launch. Virgin Orbit has been scrambling to secure a funding lifeline and avoid bankruptcy. With CEO Dan Hart telling employees in an internal email seen by CNBC, a successful launch is key for its viability. That's a lot riding on that launch, Frank. Yeah, certainly. You know, space tourism, it's a a risky business for sure, and it seems to have a lot of headwinds recently. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. Yeah. All right, turn our attention to our top story this morning and decision day for Jay Powell and the Fed as it prepares to release its latest policy decision at 2 p.m. Eastern time today. Majority of interest rate traders betting on a quarter point hike today, despite the ongoing turmoil in the banking sector. Yesterday, RBC's chief U.S. economist, Tom Porcelli, he told us, While the Fed will likely hike by 25 basis points, he believes it'd be a mistake. Today's Fed watcher is taking it just one step further. Michelle Girard is the head of U.S. at NatWest Markets, and she joins me now. Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Frank. 
All right, Michelle, let's just lay it out. What do you think the Fed should do? You're already smiling and shaking your head. What do you think the Fed should do? Because I think you have not a contrarian opinion, but a very strong one. Well, I have to tell you what a difference a couple of weeks makes. I mean, uh, you know, I think last time we spoke, we were talking about the fact we had changed our forecast to expect a 50 basis point increase because the data had been so strong. And now we've swung and and we have we are siding on, on a, you know, no change. What, what we would call a hawkish pause, meaning that they they stand pat and and but even at the same time signal that they will continue to monitor that they won't rule out further rate hikes down the road, you know, if the situation warrants, depending on how things unfold. So in our view, it's kind of they either do nothing but talk a little bit more hawkish in terms of saying, don't assume that we're done hiking. The other option would be you raise 25 basis points and and you kind of back off and say this, you know, this may be it. I mean, either way, okay. I think we don't have to worry in the sense that the markets either way will assume that the Fed is not going to be taking rates as high as they had thought before all the turmoil we're seeing now. Wait, so you're saying either way the market's okay with it? Because a lot of people think if they decide to pause, that might lead to some panic in the market because people would interpret that as, wow, things are even worse than we think they are, and the Fed's got to pause because of it. You know, Well, you know, for, for the moment, I will say, as you just pointed out, the market is priced for a 25 basis point increase. And, and the stability that we've seen over the last two days in financial markets, I think every there's a feeling that the Fed has been given a window to go ahead and, and to raise rates by 25 basis points. And they may just take that option because it's in some sense free for them. If they then do what we're thinking and don't act, then perhaps there is a concern that the Fed is worried there's another shoe to drop or something. So so there could be that reaction. It's also the case, though, that if if they don't act, but yet we start to see or continue to see some strong inflation numbers that that, you know, if things stabilize, people will feel the Fed, you know, may will end up having to do a bit more. It's it's okay. really difficult. So I guess there's a couple scenarios. There's a couple yeah, ways this exactly. could go, a couple different reactions. It's obviously a lot of variables, a lot of unknowns here. One thing I do know, in your recent note, you and your colleagues, you actually wrote a mock FOMC statement uh, basically laying out <laughs> what you think the Fed should say. So just give us, give us a quick summary. In this statement, what should the Fed be saying? I, I, my sense is that this is what you think the Fed should say to calm the markets, right? Well, I, I think, first of all, the Fed has to suggest that they are watching, in, you know, they are watching developments. I think they may also try to take a page out of what the ECB did last week, which is to separate sort of their inflation you know, responsibilities from market stability. But in the bottom line is, I think, in the in the FOMC statement, they're going to try to reassure markets in the sense that they're they're confident that they can address both of the of the challenges right now, okay. that they are committed to their inflation target. But they're very watchful of of financial stability and that and the Fed themselves are going to continue to be monitoring both, leaving yep. themselves a maximum flexibility. I read your mock statement. I think you got a few English majors over there at NatWest. You guys were having a little fun with that. All right. So I got to ask you this. A lot of people are wondering, are we going to see the dot plot come back for everybody listening to some of our retail investors? The dot plot provides projections for the federal funds rate with each dot representing a forecast from each Fed policymaker. So are you expecting to see it come back? And what do you think it would show if it does come back? So it, 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 it should be, you know, every quarter they would be releasing it. It is expected that they would release it. But it's not unprecedented that they would not indicate 
would not release a dot plot. You know, when we went into the pandemic and the conditions were so uncertain, the Fed didn't want to give forward guidance. They didn't feel like they had enough information to confidently guide expectations, their own expectations about where the um, funds rate will be. I suspect that they'll keep it. Um, but it will likely be tempered. Again, I think, you know, now now it's it's clear that the path in terms of interest rates is not likely to be as high as had been expected three months ago. And so, you know, this is the problem is that they're in a very difficult spot in an ever-changing dynamic environment to send a, a signal. So it could be that, that they actually don't release it today like they did during COVID. Again, to give themselves maximum flexibility in a, in a very uh, volatile environment. All right, Michelle Gerard from NatWest, expecting a pause. Uh, minority opinion there. Thank you very much for the insight, though. Thanks, and that Ray. mock Thanks. letter. All right, coming up here on WEX, higher costs for home construction and one of the key factors that had been driving up prices. The CEO of one building materials company lays out the factors fueling a pullback and what it could mean for a housing market that could be set to reset. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. We begin with the New York Mets unveiling a members-only speakeasy at City Field. The Cadillac Club at Payson's will have only 100 seats for 25 to 30 members with a private bar with sight lines to the field, complimentary parking, food and beverages, but it'll cost you with first row seating going for $25,000 per seat, third and fourth row seating available at a, a lower price, air quotes, of $19,000. You know what? Phillies are better anyway. I don't worry about you Mets fans. All right. Finland coming in as United Nations world's happiest list uh, for the sixth year in a row at the top of it. The report noting the world's happiest country boasts a score significantly ahead of all others. And Finland is now giving 10 lucky winners a free trip to the country for a four-day master class on being happy. And Apple is designing a new band for its Apple Watch that would automatically change its face when you snap on a new strap and launch customized apps. Very interesting there. Worldwide Exchange, we're back in a moment. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We get the latest read on mortgage demand later this morning with the weekly mortgage applications. But with interest rates so much higher than last year, cash has been king, especially for investors, with a growing number sitting on the sidelines when it comes to buying up properties. CNBC's real estate correspondent, Diana Olek. She joins us in our continuing look at whether the spring housing market is set to reset. Good morning, Diana. Good morning, Frank. You know, in the first years of the pandemic, investors were stiff competition in the housing market as they took advantage of fast rising prices and strong rental demand. But now the math isn't quite working out for them anymore, especially in previously hot markets like Las Vegas. Las Vegas has long been a favorite among housing investors. The market sees a lot of new construction and saw an influx of residents in the first years of the pandemic. But at a new listing recently, nothing. I definitely have seen a huge decrease in investor offers. Uh, it was rare this time last year, a year ago, that I would list a home and not have three or four hedge fund offers. They ended up purchasing almost a third of the inventory in the Valley at that time. Home sales to owner-occupants nationally were down 37%, but sales to large-scale investors owning more than 1,000 properties were down 79%, according to John Burns Real Estate Consulting. It's a combination of higher property costs and a higher cost of capital, thanks to rising interest rates. Now, if they make an offer, it's typically below market. 
because they don't know the direction it's going either. And the uncertainty has created and the, and the cost of money, right? The cost of capital even for them has gone up. So they don't have the free money to turn around and buy these homes cash. That, of course, is good news for regular buyers who are mortgage dependent. But home prices are still stubbornly high, especially for new construction. A lot of that has to do with builder costs for land, labor and materials. Frank. Diana, great reporting as always. Stay with us. All right. So speaking of those materials, we continue to watch the price of lumber. Prices are well off peak pandemic territory when futures contracts commanded more than 1,000 per thousand board feet. With the housing supply well short of demand, could we be in store for some more lumber price pain? Well, we're going to get some insight right now from Kyle Little, chief operating officer at Sherwood Lumber, a wholesaler of building materials nationwide. Great to have you here. Great. Thank you for having me. All right. So we've got to talk about this lumber market right now. Uh, doing a little research, obviously. Lumber prices are very low right now. Demand from the housing market, it seems to be a major factor, understandably. We have a big rate decision coming up later today. How do you see that impacting the demand for your lumber? So uh, during COVID, we saw a tremendous amount of demand pulled forward. So th the last uh, 18 months or so, we've been seeing what we'd call this great reset in lumber prices. Uh, we're now sitting at the, what we believe is the bottom third of the, of the new price range that we'll move forward with. Um, and uh, what we're finding is any time that there's any indication of hope on the interest rate so cycle, we see a surge in demand and therefore a nice uptick in lumber prices. Um, I was actually thinking, you know, we saw a huge jump, huge jump yesterday in existing home sales. And tomorrow we get the read on new home sales. Do you expect, you know, the builders have really not responded to that yet. The housing starts have been very low. Do you expect that in the coming months we are going to see a surge in housing starts? I think it's really dependent on uh, what r really happens in, in regard to interest rates in general. Like any time there's any indication that they're flattening out or a sign of a pullback, you start to see that instant, uh, that shelf demand that comes pull pulls back right back into the marketplace. If you look at current pace of sales today, uh, we have pulled back to, to roughly 2019, just before pre-COVID levels. So they're not like doom and gloom. I think that the, what, what the majority of the industry or the marketplace kind of feels or sees in the, in the, in the, in the media. Um, so we're steady as she goes. Um, supply side is adjusting accordingly. That's why we're starting to see a uh, stabilization in lumber prices. Um, and any uptick in demand is going to probably create another supply side rally. You know, Diana and Kyle, I want to both ask you about uh, the refi market. Uh, Diana, where are you seeing the refi market at right now? You know, during the pandemic, I know a lot of people, they refinance their homes. And with some of that savings, they put it back into their homes doing renovations. So, Diana, what are you seeing? Well, homeowners right now are sitting on just a ton of cash in home equity, and they are beginning to pull it out more. The refinance market has been very depressed when you talk about a straight refinance because mortgage rates are so much higher than they were a year ago. And so many people took advantage of lower rates years ago that very few people have a rate that would really help them to refinance. So it's the cash out refi that we're looking at or maybe the home equity line of credit. And we are seeing definitely an uptick in that as people do want to put more money into their homes. They have been doing it more in the last two years. And from what I'm seeing in the new reports going forward, home renovations are expected to drop this year just because of higher costs for everything else. So, Kyle, same question. What do you see when it comes to refis or just renovations for other reasons? Are you seeing more of an uptick maybe when it comes to the do-it-yourself renovator? So, um, 
in during COVID, we would what you would see is the perfect storm in the in the uh, uh, DIY or repair and remodel segment. I don't believe that we're ever going back to that amazing surge of demand that we saw there because of the shelter in place. It was a, it was a formula for everybody and their brother to go out there and get that job done because they had the time to do it. That being said, the most recent uh, phenomena of this interest rate gap with the, the people that have refinanced or now purchased a home during COVID sitting at sub 3% mortgages, they're not going to move anytime soon. So in all likelihood, over the next few uh, years, as they are living in their homes and looking to go out there, they're going to be looking to go and build uh, better places to entertain, better places to have that just feel around the home. Um, so repair and remodel is going to be abnormally high as we continue to move forward. Right now, it, you would have okay. seen that we've seen that adjustment or depressed in, in, in demand as we move forward because they're not going to move into a new home at 6 and 7% interest rates. They are going to continue to go and provide a tremendous amount of demand on the repair and remodel side. All right, lots of twists and turns in the housing market. Kyle Little, uh, thank you so much for your insight. Diana Olick, thank you very much as well. All right, as we had to break here on Worldwide Exchange throughout the month of March, we're celebrating women's heritage, sharing the stories of women leaders in business and those of our CNBC teammates and contributors. As we had to break, here is Heineken USA CEO Maggie Timon. Whether male or female and in any room, I think allyship is really important. And allyship is that someone is advocating on your behalf when you're not in the room. And I think women, we need to step up and do that more, not only for the people that we know and care about that work together with us, whether they be it male or female. So I think allyship is something that I, I take to my heart and take it very personally to ensure that I am the voice of the others who are not in the room. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up, six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. We begin with shares of First Republic searching for direction. After gaining more than 30% yesterday, the bank is reportedly hiring advisors, including Lazard and McKinsey, to review its options and manage the current crisis. Chipmaker Marvell Technology is reportedly cutting 4% of its global workforce, citing a slowdown in the semiconductor industry. Total cut should come in at just around 320 positions. Berkshire Hathaway's Greg Abel, the man seen as Warren Buffett's likely successor, making a big bet of his own. Filings out late yesterday show Abel bought $24.6 million worth of Berkshire shares Friday, bringing the value of his total stake to $105 million. Norfolk Southern CEO back on Capitol Hill today to testify before the Senate Commerce Committee in prepared testimony. Alan Shaw says he supports new, quote, legislative efforts to enhance rail safety. Shares of GameStop surging ahead of the open after reporting its first quarterly profit in two years. Analysts have been expecting it to report a net loss of $48.5 million. And shares of Nike under pressure despite reporting higher than expected revenue for its holiday quarter as markdowns wait on profits. Gearing up for the trading day ahead, we get weekly mortgage applications this morning. Also watching for earnings from Ollie's Bargain Bin. Chewy and KB Home today. And the main event, of course, the latest policy decision from the Federal Reserve. That's out at 2 p.m. Eastern, followed by comments from Chairman Jerome Powell at about 2.30 p.m. Eastern. CNBC will have complete coverage of both. As investors gear up for that Fed decision, your next guest is asking, what's wrong with the central bank hitting pause on its rate hikes, at least for now, with the ongoing turmoil around the banks. Malcolm Etheridge is the executive vice president at CIC Wealth. He's also a CNBC contributor. Malcolm, great to have you here. 
Morning, Frank. All right, so let's just break it down. What are you expecting from the Fed later today? What do you think they actually should do? Well, what I think should happen is not necessarily the same as what I think will happen at 2 p.m. I think the Fed should just hit the pause button uh, and see how things wash out in a couple of months. But I think they will actually raise by 25 basis points and just restate their commitment to fighting inflation above all else, because their mandate is really to tighten until enough things break and inflation falls in line. And frankly, not enough things have broken yet just because a few banks uh, have faltered a little bit. And so that said, the reason I say we should see a pause is because a 25 basis points hike isn't going to cure inflation on its own right this moment. So I don't see what's wrong with, you know, just hitting the pause button and waiting until May. Hopefully by then we'll have much more clarity on how stable the banking system is or isn't. And we'll also have more clarity on whether there's additional fallout or contagion affecting any other sectors, such as maybe real estate or autos, for example. All right. You're emphasizing clarity right now. But any concerns that a pause would send a mixed uh, message to the markets and actually confuse people about where the country is right now and where we are when it comes to this whole banking crisis? Well, frankly, I think this whole banking crisis has 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 a bunch of mixed signals everywhere, right? On one hand, our deposits are, are safe and secure and fully insured. And then on the other hand, we're insured up to $250,000. And so, you know, the Fed has found ways to, to use the mechanisms at its disposal to, to give us the confidence in the banking sector by uh, backstopping deposits without coming out and fully saying your deposits are 100% FDIC insured. And I think more to your point, there's so many things that uh, could be seen as a sign of one thing versus the other that there's just a lot of uh, uh, you, you could parse any any uh, idea out of any of the moves the Fed makes. The one thing I will say, though, that I expect at two o'clock is the Fed to just keep using the words data dependent, data dependent, data dependent. If we do get that pause, they won't use the word pause outright. They'll just say we're going to come back and revisit this in May and we're okay. going to remain data dependent. So you see data dependent replacing transitory in 2023. Interesting take there. So before we let you go, I want to talk about what seem to be the two hot topics when it comes to the markets, investing in the banks and also big tech. Where do you stand on both? Yep. Yeah, so I don't think it's time to go investing in, in bank stocks just yet. I think there will definitely be some better opportunities down the line simply because we just don't know how much concentration risk there are. Uh, there it still is at certain banks. We also just don't know how many other banks hold paper of their fellow banks that are, are what we would call a zombie company, right, any other time. So I don't think that it's necessarily the time to go dumpster diving and, and buying banks just because they're down 50 percent doesn't mean they're necessarily a bargain. I do also think that the rotation into tech is kind of obvious if you just consider that companies like a Microsoft or Apple don't necessarily need uh, to borrow for their operations to continue, nor do they need to borrow to grow right now. They have enough cash on their balance sheet that they can fund their operations for years to come. And so I do think it makes perfect sense that this rotation into tech has happened. And I think it's the only positive S&P sector right now. All right, Malcolm Ethers, we appreciate the insight as always. Thank you for being here. All right, right now we're seeing futures move off of their lows from earlier this morning. Right now, we're seeing the Dow just down fractionally in the pre-market. Something to watch as we get closer to that Fed decision. And that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, 
The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.